The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Many of us can remember exactly where we were and what we were doing on September 11, 2001, 10 years ago on this very day. On that dark day, which was the first major attack on American soil in nearly 60 years, America looked intently at their television sets as airplanes crashed into the World Trade Centers, killing nearly 3,000 people. Today, our teacher and elder, Eric Craig, looks back 10 years ago at September 11th, discusses possible reasons why the terrorists dislike America so much. Let's join Eric now in his discussion. Thank you. I'll take out the uh, insert, if you would, from, from your bulletin. If you like, you can follow along. There is an advancement on this particular set of notes on the back, at the bottom. I'm telling you this in faith, that you will not just get all the answers and fill them in and stop listening to me. I hate it when I look down and read in my Bible and the pastor goes right by a couple of slides where there are things to fill in. So now you've got the answers so you can fill them in yourself. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for your grace today and for the moderating of the weather. We thank you, Father. Lord, we pray that you would continue to grant us your grace. We do not deserve your blessing, but you give it nevertheless. And we thank you, our Father. There are those who are in need. We pray that you would meet those needs. There are those who are in need of physical intervention. Their health is compromised. Lord, we pray that you would heal according to your grace and will. Father, we ask that you would watch over and bless those who have gone on the camping trip. Pray, our Father, that you would bring them back to us safely and that they would be really blessed right now in their worship. Father, we thank you for those who are serving here and around the world to protect us, keep us safe. And we ask that you would watch over our service members and bring them home to us in good health after succeeding in their missions. We ask you to provide for and encourage them and their loved ones. We ask you, our Father, now to open your word to us and to give us uh, some understanding about 9-11 and how we should respond. We thank you, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. My parents were born under this flag. What flag is that? It's not Sweden. It's Denmark. Oh, please don't say Sweden. Swedish people are great. I pastor a Swedish Baptist church in uh, a Baptist General Conference church, Swedish, old Swedish Baptist, in Connecticut for four years. And Swedish people are great. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of good things about Swedish people. But I'm Danish. And Danes and Swedes over the years, for hundreds of years, did not get along very well. We fought over Norway. That's another story. I don't need to tell you that. I was not born under this flag. I was born under this flag, the, the one that's coming up. That one, that's the one. I was born here. 
My parents emigrated through Canada into the United States and settled in Los Angeles, and I was born in Hollywood at Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. I'm proud of America. I'm proud to be an American. Are you? Yes. Now, September 11, 2001, do you remember that day? Do you remember where you were? That's the kind of question people always asked about Pearl Harbor when they heard about Pearl Harbor. Now we talk about 9-11. For me, it was a Tuesday morning. There was a men's Bible study early in the morning at Richie's on Jefferson. It's not there anymore. I was driven over by Jerry Tedder. Some of you may remember Jerry. And as we got to the restaurant, we had not listened to the radio, I had not watched TV. As we got there, we found the waitresses running around. One of them was carrying around a big cordless phone. At that time, cordless phones were a big handset. And reports were being delivered by the waitress. They just hit this. They just did that. While we were there, the Pentagon was struck. I don't remember the study so much, but I do remember being in shock. I remember while I was on Guadalcanal. All right, well, there, there you go. Uh, and, and, you know, we all remember where we were during 9-11. Um, I got home, snapped on the television, and watched it for the whole day. Images that grabbed a hold of me. Did they grab a hold of you? Couldn't look away. Do you remember? This is a picture of of the first tower having been hit, and you see the plane underneath the smoke about to hit the second tower. And then uh, it hit. The cameras were focused up there for the second plane because the first plane had already hit. And the smoke just flew, just streamed over the city. And then, uh, then the first building fell down. I uh, I looked at a lot of videos of this stuff. Um, thought that would be really cool to watch a video, but um, I found that. All the memories kept coming back up for me, and I ended up crying at the computer. I could not handle it. And so I wanted to spare you from that, and me too, so that I didn't humiliate myself. You remember the way the people looked as they were fleeing from downtown? Here's a fireman. This is the Pentagon. Pentagon again. And then this is near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Um, Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember how the country pulled together? Even Congress, there there was fighting going on between the Democrats and Republicans and they pulled together. Do you remember this picture? We resolved together to fight what would be a long war against Islamic terrorism around the world. 
two wars bravely, expertly, and successfully fought by our men and women in the armed services. Many of you are here. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done to keep us safe. Now, President Bush decided to fight on the, uh, the, on the enemy's the end of the field, to use a football picture. Um, and for 10 years, that's what we've been doing. We owe President Bush and our armed service members, our intelligence agents, and our security personnel, fire police, and FBI, a, a huge debt of gratitude for keeping us safe at home here for the first seven and a half of the past 10 years under President Bush's watch. And President Obama deserves credit for pulling the trigger on the bin Laden raid and continuing the drone attacks on Al-Qaeda and Taliban leadership. But now we are in the process of withdrawing. I heard a report on the television just a couple of days ago that we will, we will withdraw all but 3,000 of our troops from Iraq by the end of this year. Are they ready? From Afghanistan, we will draw down until our troops are withdrawn in 2014. Are, are, are they ready? Not yet, right? More and more, we are realizing that we cannot afford to go into further debt on these wars. But can we afford to leave early? Are politics intruding on the mission? Will leaving now make us more safe at home? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, I've often thought it would be fun to be president. These last 10 years, I don't think so. Not so much. How do we as citizens, as voters, respond? We need to vote for sure. We need to participate as God leads us, but um, how should we respond as Christians? Well, that's the big idea. Respond to 9-11 with biblical insight in a biblical manner. why were we attacked? Now, part of the following includes my speculation. Uh, Part of it includes ideas drawn from the 9-11 Commission report. First, perhaps, is because of our support of Israel. Of Israel. We have supported Israel to one extent or another since the uh, rebirth of Israel as a nation in 1948. Israel is our most stable, mostly reliable ally in the, in the region. But our nation's support recently seems to be eroding. Perhaps it's because of Palestine. We have provided support to the Palestinians, but the funds don't seem to make it, did not always seem to make it to, to the people, to meet the needs of the people. It's greatly disturbing. What's greatly disturbing is that the Palestinian, Palestinians have been unwilling to recognize the right of Israel to exist until maybe recently. I don't see an easy resolution here. Two peoples want the same land. Our support for their oppressive rulers. 
like Mubarak in Egypt, like the Shah in Iran. We make odd alliances in foreign policy, and some of our support of Muslim and Arab governments has probably been misplaced. That's probably true. Increasing population levels, this is a little bit out of order, increasing population of young men only educated in religious schools without opportunity for or hope of steady employment. This is a real problem. Europe is being swamped by comparative birth rates and Muslim immigration. Birth rate disparity is probably a bigger problem for Europe and maybe eventually us than terrorism. Why do they hate us? Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda would answer, America attacked Islam. America is responsible for all conflicts involving Muslims. But how? By supporting Israel? I, I, I don't fully understand this one. I think I would have to be a Muslim in the Middle East to, understand, to perceive it the way they do. Well, what can we do to stop these attacks? Al-Qaeda's answer is, America should abandon the Middle East, convert to Islam, and end the immorality and godlessness of its society and culture. Well, it looks like we are mostly with, we're going to be mostly withdrawing from the Middle East. I too am alarmed by the ungodly nature of our society. We convert to Islam? Ah, no, it's not me. We need to respond to 9-11 with biblical insight and in a biblical manner. What insights can we get from God's word? What insights do you get, Wyatt? Down. Come on, you get it. There you go. Okay. What insights can we get from God's word? The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make you your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And you, in you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He left. God showed him a country and gave it to him. He would have a, he would have a family. And the last verse there, verse 3, is so important for us. The promise is, those who bless Israel, those who bless Abraham's descendants, will be blessed. Those who curse them will be cursed. And he will be a blessing. Jesus is the ultimate blessing in Abraham. Please turn in your Bibles. You brought your Bibles, right? Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to jump through some passages. I just want to talk about the value of the Abrahamic covenant and how Abram had two, Abraham had two children and that's the source of the problem. Verse 1 of Genesis 15. After these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me, since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since thou hast given no offspring to me, one born of my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Parenthetically, let me say, there were no lights to wash out the sky. The stars were easy to see back then. Verse 6, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The Lord promised him that he, would, that he would give him children. He promised that he would protect him. And Abram trusted in the Lord. This word trust, you know what it is in, in Hebrew? It's a variation, it's a verb form of our word, which is borrowed from Hebrew, Amen. He amened God's promise. Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. The Lord's guarantee, verses 7 to 21. Verses 7 to 11. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. This is the cutting of a covenant. Cutting is the word that's used in Hebrew. The cutting of a covenant was where you split the animals down the middle, put them on two sides, left a path down the middle like this aisle down the center of the, of the church so that they could walk between the, the parts of the animals, basically saying, if I don't fulfill my part of this covenant, of this bargain, then may I be treated just like these animals and thus die. Verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. This was not a peaceful sleep. And God said to Abram, while Abram was asleep, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Abram slept and he got this word. Your family's going to go through tribulation, but you will be blessed and they will ultimately be blessed too. Verse 17. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch 
which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, for the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cabanite, and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim, and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. Who passed between the pieces? Normally both parties of a covenant who both had responsibilities would go between them. But now Abram is asleep. God passes between by himself. It's very important because God is the one who guarantees, who guarantees that the covenant will be fulfilled. Abram did not need to fulfill anything in order for the covenant to be fulfilled. So we have Abram's faith and God's guarantee. Now turn, if you would, to Genesis 17, just a couple pages over. Verse 1, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. How long? Everlasting. For an everlasting possession, I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. Now please turn to Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac had been born by this time, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. What? Offer him. Isaac, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled the donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place where God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. That's a statement of faith. God told him to sacrifice Isaac. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father... He said, Here I am, my son. 
And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Imagine his sinking heart. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. God will provide. And he did provide a substitute. Verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac. Can you imagine what Isaac was thinking? This is not the normal procedure, Father. (laughs) Bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Fortunately for us, we have a commentary in Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Verse 13 of Genesis 22. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. This does not happen every day. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Does that sound like something that it was done before or later? An offering in the place of? And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. A substitute sacrifice. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, by myself, that harkens back to 15. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of, of their enemies, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. The test of faith, the test of faith, and the guarantee. The Abrahamic covenant is a huge blessing for which two sons and their descendants will still contest, even today. So we have Abraham's two sons. The first is Ishmael. Turn to Genesis 16. Now Sarai, 
Abraham's wife, and I told you we were going to read a lot, didn't I? Abraham, now Sarai, Abraham's, excuse me, Abraham's wife, had borne him no child, had no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will shall obtain children from her. The problem's either with you, Abram, Abram or with me. Maybe I'll get children from, from Haggai. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of, of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave you my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she conceived, she... I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. You, you told me to take her. And now you're upset because she's conceived. You want her to conceive. Look, she's your maid. You deal with it. So Sarai treated her harshly. And she fled from her presence. They wanted to help God, and that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand shall be against everyone, and everyone's hand shall be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Slip down to verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the, son, the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. He was a fighting, he would be a fighting donkey of a man. He'd be in a a fight with everyone around him, even his family. That has been true. Now turn, if you would, to chapter 21, verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abram, mocking. This is after Isaac is born. Therefore she said to Abram, Drive out this maid and her son. I'm sorry, uh, Isaac has not been born at this point. Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of the, uh, I guess he has been born. For the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Ishmael is 13 at this point. Isaac is a newborn. He's invested himself for 13 years in Ishmael. 
But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. Every wife wants to hear that. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. Slip down to verse 17. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Slip down to verse 20. And God was with the lad, and he grew. And he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So from Ishmael would become would come a great nation. Parenthetically, let me say that Ishmael ends up having 12 sons. They each established tribes. These tribes settled in the northern part of what we know today as the Arabian Peninsula. And he and the sons of Keturah, another concubine of Abraham's, um, would settle in that area and they would end up becoming, according to the way that the people in Saudi Arabia see themselves, they would become the Arabs. Okay, now we have Isaac. Please turn to Genesis 18, verse 9. Abraham and Sarah received three visitors, apparently the Lord and two angels. And after a welcoming meal, verse 9, then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? He is almost 90, he's 99. She is maybe... Ten years younger than he is. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah, now opening the tent flap, says, she denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Skip down to verse 11. Sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. Then the Lord took note, I should say, is anything too difficult? Difficult is the word you need to write down. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Then the Lord took note of Sarah in verse 1 of chapter 21, as he said, uh, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, 
at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, and then when he was eight days old, as God, has com- as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. This time not in mockery, but in joy. And, he said, and she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. You know, Isaac, you know what that means? Laughter. Laughter, he was born. Ishmael would be blessed. He had 12 sons who were identified also with Midian, according to Genesis 37, 27, 28, in the northern and western Arabian Peninsula. The most holiest site in in Islam is the, I hope I don't miss, I will will mispronounce this, I'm sure, the Kaaba, Kaaba or Kaaba in Mecca, that's in the sacred mosque. It's a cube covered in, uh, in black silk, black and gold silk. And it said that the Kaaba was built by Abraham and Ishmael. Mecca is known as the city of Abraham. They want the link with Abraham. The second most holy city is the city of Muhammad, the uh, Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina, the city of Muhammad. The third most holy is the Masjid or Mosque Al-Aqsa, the farthest mosque in Jerusalem. However, biblically, Isaac was, cho- was the chosen child. Genesis 17, verse 18, And Abraham said to God, On, what? On that, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become a father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall, will bear to you at this season next year. God's covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, would be extended to Isaac. With respond to 9-11 with biblical insight and now in a biblical manner. Biblically, how should we respond now? First, I would say, ask God to give safety and success to our troops and all those who protect us at home. Regularly, don't have to feel guilty about this, but from time to time, take the time to remember to pray for our troops and for those who protect us. Secondly, I'd say reject replacement theology. Reject 
replacement theology. Replacement theology, properly known as covenant theology, is a theology in which the Abrahamic covenant blessings are lost to Israel because of their disobedience and rejection of Jesus, and instead inherited by the church. But that needs to be rejected. That's not a biblical doctrine as far as I understand it. The vast majority of Christians hold to this view, whether they realize it or not. We recognize instead here at Rancho Baptist Church that the Abrahamic covenant blessings continue with Israel. Israel is under discipline today for rejecting Jesus, but they are still God's chosen people. Romans 9.1 I am telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh willing to give his own salvation up for them to be saved. Verse 4, Who are Israelites? To whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. All these still belong to them. Verse 5, Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all blessed forever. Amen. You do not have to be an outstanding grammarian to figure it out. These are still present tense verbs. These things still belong to Israel. We participate in the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. That is true. But we do so not because we have replaced Israel, but because we are in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. Thirdly, pray for the protection of Israel. They are under pressure a land that is a sliver of land, very vulnerable. Pray for the salvation of the people of Israel and for Muslims. These people still need to be saved. Ask God to use you as a witness to Muslims and Jews of God's grace and the sacrifice of Jesus. You don't have to go to Arabia. You don't have to go to Israel to to share the good news with these people. Share your testimony with those people that you see at the mall or on the street or at the store. Ask God for direction about a career to be as a missionary. Ask God to abundantly supply so you can support those who go as missionaries. And ask God to send Jesus back soon. One thing the events of 9-11 brings to mind for me is that thousands died unexpectedly on 9-11-2001. Are you ready if your life was taken from you today, tonight, this week, whenever your end might be? Jim's ready. We all need to be ready. The gospel is simply this. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. 
Christ died for you, however. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for me, died for you. You can be saved through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, it says in verse 13. Amen. In verse 10. Creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Good works come after you're saved. You're saved by the grace of God through faith. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, there are those among us who uh, who need to be saved. Lord, I pray that you would open their heart right now and that you would move them to trust in Jesus as their Savior. If you want to do that today, pray like this, phrase by phrase with me. God, I have sinned. Pray like that in your heart. I deserve to go to hell. I cannot save myself. But you love me. And you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. To pay for my sins. Jesus, I transfer my trust to you and what you did for me on the cross to save me. Please be my savior. Save me. Thank you. Father, I ask that you would bless each one here and that you would move us to remember the events of 10 years ago, but to do so constantly trusting in you and your provision and for our troops and our, our, our foreign agents and those who keep us safe here. We thank you, Father, and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www dot rancho baptist church dot org that's www dot rancho baptist church dot org have a great day in the lord and god bless you as you continue to walk with him